0: Thank you for tuning in to the Radio Bible Course. Our study of 1 Thessalonians continues today with chapter 4, and we have come to a section where Paul pleads for sexual purity among the Thessalonians. That may sound like an unreasonable topic to be discussing at all today because of the morality of our generation But it was something that was introduced by the Christian faith. The one new thing that was introduced in the first century in that pagan society was sexual purity. And the pagans couldn't believe it. This was incredible that a man or a woman was expected to be sexually pure. Yes, Christians in the first century were known for sexual purity and for their love, one for another. And that's the way Jesus Christ wanted it to be. That was instruction that came from him, that men would know that we are his disciples if we have love, one for another. That was called the great commandment. Jesus said it to the disciples on the day before he was crucified. He said, A new commandment I give you. New? In what sense? In the sense that the Jews didn't know very much about this, even though the Old Testament taught them that they ought to love one another and that they ought to love God. That was the first commandment. But now Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, comes on the scene. He's about to die to shed his blood and put into effect that new covenant, and he introduces a new commandment. It was new in the sense that it was a whole new concept among these people, and it was new in that it would replace the old commandments. You see, once you follow the new commandment of Jesus Christ, you no longer need the old commandments, that is, the ten or the other six hundred and twenty commandments given to the Jews, in the law of Moses because keeping the new commandment permits one to fulfill all that the commandments of the law demanded of a man. That's how good the new commandment is. So Christians can't ever depart from that law of love, nor can they depart from the moral standard given by God to his new people, the people who follow Jesus Christ. Now it's very tempting in our society to modify God's standard and accept instead the standard of men. Well if we're going to accept the standard of men in regard to morality, then we could do it in regard to crime and everything else that man does. Either God has standards or he doesn't. Now, this is the word of God which we are teaching. It sets forth what God expects of the Christian. And it all focuses on this one word, sanctification, to be set apart. This is the word from which we get the word saint and holy. The Bible tells us that when a person first believes in Jesus Christ for salvation... He is set apart for God and by God, but he is not morally perfect. Sin is very much present in his mortal body, and the cravings of the flesh continue to struggle for satisfaction. But Paul in verse 3 pleads for another kind of sanctification. This is the kind that each of us is able to bring about, specifically here, Paul is addressing abstaining from sexual sins. Set apart your body for God, Paul is saying. Set it apart as a holy vessel. Now, verse 4 can be a problem. It says that each one of you know how to take a wife for himself in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like heathen who do not know God. This translation, the Revised Standard Version, is a little easier than the one that uses the word vessel. In the King James Version, it says that you know how to possess his vessel. Now, what does the Greek say? Well, the word vessel is there, not the word wife. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the wife is called the weaker vessel. That's a clear reference to the wife. So the translators of the King James Version, when they used vessel, were not far off. The Revised Standard Version translators, however, thought that did refer to the wife, but perhaps there they were taking too much liberty, and I'll explain that. This same word is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 where it speaks of our bodies as a vessel. And so the literal translation of verse 4 is, No could possess himself of his own vessel. It's interesting that a papyrus document dated to the early part of the first century, supports the view that this could mean obtaining or acquiring complete mastery over the body. Now, that gives a little different interpretation. And if we accept that kind of evidence as valid, the sense of the verse is this, that you keep your body pure. Now, if the word wife is meant It reveals Paul's high regard for women, for he speaks of taking her in holiness and honor, not in lust like the heathen. But it might be proper to regard this verse as a plea for bodily purity instead of as a reference to the wife. In verse 5, Paul uses the word passion. He writes, Not in the passion of lust, like heathen who do not know God. Passion means an overmastering desire, not violent desire. Almost always the word is used by Paul in a bad sense. And here he refers to the heathen. Those are the Gentile nations. In Greek, it refers to non-believers and non-Jewish people. The Jews, you see, did have a high morality because they had the law of God. But the law of God, including the Ten Commandments, were given to no one except to the people of Israel. That's what made them different. They were God's chosen people. And God gave them a law to make them different and then to keep them different. So the Jews have always been very different from all the other families of the earth. In verse 6, Paul talks about wronging a brother. Listen to what he writes. That no man transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we solemnly forewarned you. How does one wrong or defraud his brother? Sexual impurity is one way, and that, of course, is the context here, and especially does one defraud a brother, if he practices adultery. Adultery is certainly a transgression, and Paul uses that word here, that no man transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Well, you do transgress when you take someone else's mate and use that person for your own pleasure, because... That mate belongs to someone else. God has never looked at that lightly. So transgress really means to overreach and thus defraud. Sexual sins, then, amount to overreaching for what does not belong to a particular person. And Paul here gives a stern warning. Remember that the Lord avenges... Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the immoral and adulterous person. So it's very clear what God has expected of his people. The people he has set apart for himself for eternity. While Paul here condemns immorality, he does not deal with it in the harsh words used to indicate sexual perverts in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Listen to what he writes there. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Paul refers to their acts as shameless. The confusion of the sexes comes of no natural or legitimate desire. It is the vilest kind of lust, the lust of distortion and perversion. Paul there, in Romans chapter 1, tells us that it comes as a divine judgment for turning away from God. He describes that in the previous passages. Now in verse 7, there is a call not to freedom for loose living, but a call to holiness. Paul writes, for God has not called us for uncleanness, but in holiness, therefore, Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We're called to holiness. Now, this was not obvious to pagans, nor is it obvious to people today. But it needs to be taught to everyone who claims to believe in Jesus Christ. This is God's call to a different kind of a life. We can't be like the people in the world. Verse 8 is another warning. It says, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, because the message here about sexual purity is from God, not from the Apostle Paul. This is the Spirit's word to the churches. And notice the text. It does not say God who gives us His Spirit. It says God who gives His Holy Spirit. I think that's deliberate because he has been talking here about the Holy Life. Paul seems to want to make a deliberate association between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Life of the believer. Now, keep in mind that the Bible talks about evil spirits, and it talks about unclean spirits. But there is only one Holy Spirit. There is, in the Bible, this idea that God is in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, that is given to everyone who believes. We thank you for tuning in to the Radio Bible Course today. We invite your questions and comments about this program. If we can be of help to you personally, please write to us. We also extend an invitation to our listeners to visit our Sunday morning Bible class every Sunday morning at 9.15. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.